adventures in a small world. Hello and welcome to Strangers in a Small World. Today we have a conversation with Zach. You can find Zach on Twitter at Suda41, that's S-U-D-A 41. Zach is a podcast producer and is currently working on a project called Radio Camp Half-Blood. He's also an audio engineer. He lives in California and spends his time reading books, watching movies, and going to different theme parks throughout the country. During our conversation, we spend time discussing Zach's story and how he came to find his passions. We discuss some of Zach's favorite books, and we even get into a play that he wrote about one of his favorite authors. We go into details about different theme park history and Walt Disney, and we touch on a bunch of other interesting topics. Zach is very well read and knows his stuff, so this conversation was really fun and informative. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Here we go. Today we got Zach. Um, Zach, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Zach. I'm 23. I live in sunny California, and I run a podcast called Radio Camp Half-Blood, a Percy Jackson Relung podcast. Other things that I do, I am a theme park aficionado, so I go to most theme parks in all of Southern California, from Disneyland to Knott's Berry Farms to Magic Mountain to, I guess, uh, the other theme parks, I guess, Waterworld, SeaWorld, and Legoland. Oh, man. I love it. Oh, it's fun. (laughs) Um. Have you ever been to Disney World in Florida? I have. I have been to Disney World in Florida, but that was years and years ago. Uh, Last time I was there was before they started doing all their things to Epcot, so I got to actually ride a couple of the rides before they got switched over to Frozen and a couple of other things, including like an animatronic of Ellen. That was something that I remember (laughs) as a kid. But that uh, dinosaur ride, yep. Oh, yes, Ellen Energy. Yep. That's hilarious. Yeah, my sister actually works down there at Disney World in Florida, so I got to uh, go down and go to the park and see all that stuff, so that's always fun. I haven't been out to California, though. Oh, yes. Uh, I love Disneyland in California. I used to work at Disneyland for about three years. It's a really fun, super magical place, and I only have the best memories of working there, especially, like, for me, I always love theme parks, so being able to, you know, see the magic both behind the scenes and see how people's reactions to it has been like a truly magical experience. That's awesome. So you were a character over there? No, no. I actually was a sweeper and I also worked on the parades for a little bit, uh, just doing behind the scenes, you know, pixie dust magic. I love it. That's cool. I thought everyone who worked at Disney was called a character. That's why I said that. Oh, no. Everyone at uh, Disneyland is called a cast member. Cast member. I knew there was a word for it. All right. Cast member. (laughs) Very cool. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, why did you stop doing that? Oh, mostly because I wanted to go back to school, and also I, I wanted to uh, take care of my grandma. She was a little sick at the time, and I couldn't shuffle school, work, and then taking care of my grandma. So it was all three of the things. So I had to, I had to pick one, and I had to pick the one, you know, the sad one. But yeah, I understand. It is what it is. I understand. Too bad. So are you still in school? No, no. I graduated a year ago. It was uh, I graduated uh, with a degree in technical theater and stage management. 
Oh, wow. Are you working in that field now? I worked on it for a little bit, but I'm actually focusing on audio engineering and a little stage management. I've worked for a couple theaters here and there, but most of it has been because of podcasting. A lot of the work that I've actually been getting hasn't been in the theater world, but a lot of like movies and short films I've worked on. Very cool. So is there a lot of that going out on there? Are you near like the Hollywood area? or? Yes. Uh, the great thing about where I live is... Uh, LA is only like 40 minutes away it's kind of a commute but it's worth it uh there's a lot of places like little projects here and there that you can find it's actually fairly easy a lot of the major movie studios don't actually film in LA all that much anymore they go towards like Georgia or they go to places that have like cheaper I guess for tax reasons they go to those places so I go to a lot of like independent art and a lot of Places that will, you know, give me a little little chunk of change, but uh, not like a major studio place. I haven't got a chance to work for one of the major studios yet. That'd be cool, though. Is that a is that a goal to work for one of the major studios? Yes and no. At the same time, I'd like to work for one of the major studios, but for me, my my expertise have always been in uh, special effects as well as uh, working in theater. So if I can get an opportunity to work in uh, the studio, but mostly in like a theater setting, I'd love that. Movies. A lot of the time, it's just a lot of like sitting down and waiting because the one thing that people don't realize about films is that you'll shoot a scene and then there'll be like three hours of waiting to adjust everything, get everything set up again to shoot just again. So for me, what I like to do is to always be on my feet. Interesting. So when you say theater, is that actually like like I'm picturing Broadway? I don't know if that's what you're talking about. Yes, like Broadway, kind of like uh, the best way to put it is for me, what I like to do is I'm the person that is behind the scenes making sure that everything's going right so no one notices a thing's going wrong. Got it. And you you focus on specifically the audio engineering, you called it? Yes, audio engineering, but uh, like stage management is the best way to put it is, is it is... Uh, I set up in a little room and I make sure that all the crews, like the audio, the lighting, and all the actors are somewhat in organization with each other, kind of like in synergy. I'm just the, the voice of reason, and that's that's my main job. Wow, that's cool. So you're almost like a, a manager or a project leader. I'd say yes a little bit, but it's more of like everyone, it's like a team effort. I'm just the person that's just like, okay, team, let's just go this way. Gotcha. And so, and if I sink the ship, everyone goes down with me. So it's like it's a big commitment, but it's one of those things where it's like it's, there's no I in team, maybe an ensemble, but that has no I in it whatsoever. <laughs> That's cool. It sounds like you have to be a strong leader to be able to hold that position, though. Yes and no. It's one of those things. Like I said, it's if you have a good team, uh, my job is almost like just like an honorary thing. If you have like a not so good team like um actors are kind of like being actors or stuff is happening backstage it's like the idea of like the clark kent and the superman like sometimes you know you can be mild-mannered and then other times you have to like put your underwear inside out and like bust some heads (laughs) yeah or how do you get that confidence where you can talk to an actor and get him to do what you want him to do well, I think the best way I, I learned how to do that was I've worked on a one of the, actually the turning points of my life was when I was about 17, I got a chance to work for one of my favorite movie companies. Uh, it's called Troma Entertainment, and they're just known for very low budget filmmaking. And I ended up getting a plane ticket, flying out to Buffalo, New York for about a couple weeks. And I filmed the movie Return to Newcomb High Volume 1 and 2, which are now both available on DVD. 
And uh, what ended up happening is I had such a great time. I actually learned so much from both the director, who is a huge hero inspiration, who is now a lifelong friend, as well as being able to uh, just learn how to do art and realize that, you know, people can bash heads, but the worst thing someone can do is just say no, or you can always find a replacement. Even though that's not the nice thing to say, it's one of those things that's like, in, in some lines of work, like, if they're not doing their job, why do we need to have you? Otherwise, I'm going to try my best to keep you as long as I can until something bad happens. How did you get that opportunity? Uh, my uncle used to work for his company like a long time ago in the early, early 90s, and he found out about it, and he told me, and I had not known about that. It was like almost like a weird secret thing because... For me, this is back in the day when Netflix was first starting out streaming services. So it had all of these trauma movies, uh, Toxic Avenger, uh, Sergeant Kabuki Man in YPD, Tromeo and Juliet, all these horrible, horrible like movies that just blew my brain. And I didn't even know my uncle worked for them. And then I had this opportunity, so I found out about it, and I flew to Buffalo, and I spent like a couple weeks literally living in a mortuary. And oh, I slept wow. where the bodies were, like, were kept, so it was like even colder, but it was like the best experience of my life. Like I slept on an air mattress. I pretty much pooped in a paper bag. Not really. We had plumbing, uh, and we ate pretty much like cheese sandwiches. Wow. That sounds like a great opportunity. And you said the movie was Return to Nukem High? Yes, Return to Nukem High, uh, Volume 1 and 2. I just helped finish a little bit of special effects and a little bit of a uh, little bit of everything when it came to their new movie, uh, Shakespeare's Shitstorm, which is a punk rock version of The Tempest by a one Bill Shakespeare. Billy, as yes. we call him. <laughs> oh, yes. Back in the biz, we call him Billy. <laughs> <laughs> so was that your first experience in the film world? Yes, yes. And it pretty much prepared me for... Uh, what to expect. And you know what? Because that was, like, I, I wouldn't consider like the high point, but I realized that is like the standard of like, it can't get worse or it can't get better from here. Like, I've been on movie sets where I've literally walked through a graveyard in the middle of the night, like a real graveyard with just a flashlight, and I had to walk about a mile to get some equipment. Wow. When you went to Buffalo, was this before or after school, after you graduated? This is before I graduated. I was still a sophomore in high school. So I had just was about to be a junior. So uh, this was kind of like the, the big summer thing extravaganza. So I went and it changed my life. That's awesome. When did you discover that film and this was kind of what you wanted to be doing with your life? Well, for me, when it came to uh, entertainment, it's always been I've always wanted to make people laugh. But the main thing is, is that for me, I was kind of like a low-key latchkey kid, so the best thing to do was go to Blockbuster Video and just <laughs> order a bunch of movies my mom would get me, like stacks, and I would just stay home and watch movie after movie after movie, and it just became something like second nature, like breathing. Like I've realized in my short time I've watched more movies than I've, I, I want to care to admit because I realized if I think about it, I'm going to be like, I've wasted my life, but I haven't. <laughs> Right. It's all how you frame it, right? It's not a waste if that's what you love doing. No, no. And it's one of those things where uh, sometimes, actually not sometimes, all the times, even in my show, I end up slipping into talking about really obscure movies or I end up saying like obscure lines of dialogue from movies that half of the people that I listen to my show don't really know. So it's for me, it's always has been a, 
a fun little time because it's that's, just who I am. Yeah, that's cool. I like it. Do you find you watch more indie movies than popular movies? Well, for me, my, my main expertise is schlock and B-movies. So I watch some independent, but a lot of the times I watch movies like, uh, example, I just finished rewatching because I'm about to order a new a Blu-ray copy of a terrible movie called uh, Hard Ticket to Hawaii, which the best way to put it is this movie by this guy named Andy Sadar. And I guess the best way to put the genre is uh, girls in bikinis with machine guns. And it is one of the weirdest, like sleaziest movies, but it's an action movie. And it's like one of those where I'll put it on with some friends and we'll just have a fun time watching. I'm not really watching the movie, but we, you know, it's just like the hangout movie. That's cool. So, you called it schlock and b yeah schlock uh schlock movies are just like uh a best way to put it is like independence day the day after tomorrow like roland emmerich movies like okay. things go explosion and boom rather than like oh oh margaret how was the kitchen today or how how was the garden as they're sipping tea looking out the the window and thinking about days gone by <laughs> gotcha so is that why you like special effects more Oh yeah, no special effects are what are kind of like my bread and butter, just because uh, they make movies that would be unbelievable, believable, and that's kind of like what I like to do is being able to take the, like the imagination, much as like working at Disney, like m- taking something that's non-magical and making it magical. Yeah, that seems to be a theme here. That's pretty cool. So you said you have a podcast. So the name of the podcast is Radio Camp Half-Blood. It's a Percy Jackson Relong podcast. I do it with my host, B. It's a weekly show where me and my friend, where we read a chapter of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, and we discuss it. And we've gotten about three books in. There's there's dozens of books by one Rick Riordan. And it's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fans. We have a lot of passionate people. We have people from all over the world, places that I didn't even know like existed until like I would never, not that I wouldn't go there, but it's like, I, I never even thought of going there, but maybe I might go there now. That's cool. Is Percy Jackson a must-read book? Yes, to the young adult audience, because it teaches people mythology and kind of like lessons like, you know, tolerance, as well as, you know, just being a kid with ADHD and dyslexia and how that's pretty much a superpower. And to a kid that, you know, struggles with ADHD and actually I also have dyslexia, I kind of... I uh, was drawn to those books as a kid, and I wanted to show one of my best friends those books, and we ended up you know, falling in love with them again and meeting a whole bunch of wonderful people along the way. Wow, that's a cool story. I haven't uh, read them. I think I've seen a movie, maybe, Ugh. a Disney movie. Uh, not a Disney movie. Even though they're owned by Disney, they were uh, produced by Fox, and they're both the terrible, terrible movies. Like, oh, God, they're they're awful. Ugh. Okay, so forget about the movie, check out the book. Yes, if it was between a lobotomy and watching those movies again, I would choose the lobotomy. Oh, wow. That's that's pretty bad. Well, yeah, because then I could actually enjoy the movies because that's what the people think people need, a lobotomy to enjoy those movies. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's tough. It's it's Yeah, it's tough, but someone's got to do it. Someone has to sit down and watch them and tell people not to watch them. <laughs> I'm glad you uh, suffered through that for everyone else. So. Oh, yeah. It's it's all taking one for the team. Everyone listening, please do not watch the Percy Jackson movies. Oh, yeah. Don't. And that's from Zach with <laughs> love. Have you ever thought about 
um, writing your own movie or doing anything like that? I've written a couple stage plays, uh, mostly one acts. A lot of them have been for senior projects, but others, some of them have been for like my own personal, like I wanted to produce them and I just have a couple of them on the back burner, but there's some that's like getting a play produced and uh, submitting is most of what I'm doing and trying to submit to contests. Uh, but I make a movie. I feel like I would write a movie, but I wouldn't necessarily direct a movie. If that makes any sense. Like I, I know, I'm I'm confident in one thing, but I wouldn't be confident enough to direct a movie at this time. Yeah, there's two different skills there. Yes. How do you find the material that you're writing about? So I'll give an example. So I've just finished writing, actually, by, I mean, recently, I mean, a couple months ago, a huge one-act play I did for a class on the author Ray Bradbury. I ended up doing a play about his life. And through the process, I ended up interviewing people that knew him before he passed away in 2012 and being able to like experience like who he was as a person as well as reading every bit of piece I could find about him, interviews, books. Like He was a very prolific author. And in the end, I kind of like went a little crazy to the point of where it's like, like kind of like I am Ray Bradbury to the point of where I wrote this and I sent it to my teacher, uh, Mr. Sam Weller, who is, uh, was uh, Ray Bradbury's official biographer, and I said, wow, this, this really does sound like my friend. And this, it was very touching. Wow, that's incredible. That's that's a cool story. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's very unique when it came to, like, writing that because I knew what I wanted to do for my project was I was, I'm going to write a play because uh, Ray Bradbury loved plays. He wrote books. He wrote screenplay to Moby Dick. Like, he's done a lot of things. And for me, I wanted to write a play and I was able to make this play, and it was one of those like babies that I was like, I can't believe I actually got to make this, and just live in like this Bradbury world. And it's one of those things where it came to the end where I actually actually went to his grave because he is not buried far from where I live, and just you know placed a copy of it and just said thank you for this. Very cool. Is that video of the play anywhere that people can see it? Unfortunately, I haven't gotten it produced yet. I've submitted it to uh, some contests, so I'm swinging to see if they'll they'll be you know approved, or I might actually produce them myself. It's just one of those things where it just takes time. Understood. That sounds cool. Definitely, definitely interested in watching that. Um, do you have a favorite Ray Bradbury book? Yes, uh, the book is Something Wicked This Way Comes. Oh. I've heard of it. I did not know that was Ray Bradbury. Yes, uh, Ray Bradbury did Something Wicked This Way Comes, Fahrenheit 451, The Martian Chronicles, The Illustrated Man, The Golden Apple of the Sun, so on and so forth, Let's Kill Constance, Death is a Lonely Business. I could keep going on. There's there's about 30 books. (laughs) And I've read about almost every single one of them except for uh, one or two. Gotcha. But Something Wicked This Way Comes is the best one. In my opinion, it is the best, except for maybe the Halloween tree, but you have to be in Halloween to really appreciate it. But uh, Something Wicked This Way comes as a story of two boys who find a carnival that has just mysteriously popped up in their hometown, and this is where we get the genre of dark carnivals. And I love it. That's where it all started? Kind of, but it's like the idea of... Uh, the, the whole plot of the book is uh, boys becoming men. Okay. Cool. I'll have to check it out. I, I know Bradbury for uh, Fahrenheit 451, but that's all I've read by him. 
Oh, yes. Uh, like I said, I think Something Wicked This Way comes is one of the greatest books ever written. It's usually up there as well with uh, Fahrenheit 451. Gotcha. Is Bradbury your favorite author? Uh, for me, that's a that's a tough question because I love authors equally because I consider them all my friends. Because when you sit down and like, read a body of work, it's you and the author rather than just you reading a book. And for me, I I do have a list, but it's like one of those where it, it's always changing. I'm always finding new cool things. Like if I had to give like a like a top five list, it would probably be not in any particular order. You know, Ray Bradbury, R.L. Stein, Rick Riordan, Patrick Rothfuss, Brandon Sanderson, and and much much more. That's awesome. Is your favorite genre usually horror? Actually, my favorite genre is fantasy. I don't know if I want to ask this, but have you read uh, Game of Thrones? Oh, yes. I love my Game of Thrones. All right, good, I love good. it a lot. Um, are we ever going to get The Winds of Winter? I want to say yes, because good old George R. R. Martin is now apparently huddled up in a cabin somewhere, finishing it out. Maybe. Maybe we might. I mean, <laughs> hopefully. I want to say we do, because, you know... On on top of that, I'd love to see Bigfoot or a unicorn and the winds of winter, but both of those are all of them <laughs> might be a conspiracy theory, really. Oh man. Like when those books came out, I was just all in, man. Like I needed Winds of Winter so bad, but now it's been so long I'm kinda like, uh Here's the thing about Winds of Winter. I want it, but also at the same time, the only way I want it is if the next book after that, a song of spring is also released because then you have to wait the same amount of time for that book. So you're not technically even getting your conclusion. You're just getting the winds of winter. Right. I don't think I can do this again. I can't wait another. What is it like <laughs> eight years now? Yeah. I mean, give him, give or take. I mean, like the average George R. R. Martin writes about 300 words, and the average Brandon Sanderson finishes a book in like 10 minutes to a blink. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> great the books are so great though Ugh. for me the great thing that george r. r martin did is by not finishing and releasing his books he's done a great service for me because i get to discover a whole body of fantasy books other than game of thrones such as scott lynch's the gentleman bastard series uh brandon sanderson's mistborn and the stormlight archive patrick Rothfuss's the name of the wind and the king killer chronicles like for me the best blessing that a procrastinating author can give me is a chance to actually catch up on other of his peers. That's crazy. So you must you must do a lot of reading. Uh, you don't understand. Like, I have bookcases and bookcases and bookcases of books. There's a reason why I, my genre of podcasting is literature based. Like before, I did this uh, Rick Riordan podcast. I did a Goosebumps podcast with my friend Meg, and then I did another show examining kids' books. I, for me, I don't have not enough content to not talk for the rest of my life. So you said you have dyslexia, right? Do you, do you find that having that made you read more or wh why do you read so much? I just like reading because it's one of those things where it's just, you're able to read and sit down and like get into someone else's headspace other than your own. Uh, mainly because I like the idea of using my imagination rather than just sitting down and watching like How I Met Your Mother or The Office for like the 80th time. Uh, for me, reading is just one of those escapes that's almost like the ultimate time machine other than watching like a black and white movie. Uh, you're able to actually step into someone else's shoes, kind of like in To Kill a Mockingbird, 
and you get to experience a different way of life and thinking that kind of gives people different you know perspectives in life and for me what i love about reading is being able to experience different worlds and actually this is gonna be shocking i like learning things so i, I read anything i can get my hands on that's awesome I need to read more. I feel like my book, my stack of books just keeps growing. Oh yeah, no, it's just for me. It's just a stack of shelves. I'm like, oh, well, I guess I gotta, I gotta read these as quick. Though I've been slowly switching to Kindle. Uh, yes, I've been going to more of eBooks because I'm running out of room. And for me, eBooks are kind of helpful because I can sit and like read it in my pocket almost, and it's sure. just there. Do you? highlight or take notes on any of the books that you read or you just kind of get engulfed and you just read that's what the kindle's for but uh i don't really mark up my books that's just something that i don't do unless it's a book that i will have to buy another copy for so i have a pristine copy of it got it so on the kindle you do kind of highlight yes because you can erase that really easily right what do you find yourself highlighting just passages or like quotes and things that I found really fascinating throughout reading. Got it. Do you, do you ever write any like reviews on the books you read or anything like that? No, because that's kind of the problem with dyslexia is a lot of typos and it's not fun. If I'm going to do a review for a book, I'd rather talk about it and articulate it in more ways than like I could easily write, I could easily write like six pages and might get something wrong rather than I can have an hour with a friend we can discuss it and break it down and why it was good, why it was bad, or like things that we really enjoyed about it or things that we really hated about it and get more of a sense of completionism. Sure, that makes sense. So that's why you kind of moved to the uh, podcasting. Oh, yeah. For me, it was before that it would have been YouTube. But for me, I've always grown up with podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts since I was like 13. I'm 23 now, so it's it's been about a good decade of just listening to podcasts every almost every day of my life. That's awesome. Any favorite podcasts? Ooh, that 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 one's hard. I listen to a lot. Uh, for me, I guess the one really popular podcast I listen to is uh, My Favorite Murder. Other than that, I listen to the Duke and Duchess podcast. I listen to the SSR podcast. I listen to the Theme Park Duo. Uh, one of my favorites is called 91 Reasons. Uh, just a guy that talks about movies all day and theme parks. And for me, it's a lot of fun because I've gotten a chance to meet him and become really good friends with him and his family. And it's one of those uh, magical things. Uh, but when it comes to podcasting, it's like pick or choose. And being able to find a new podcast is always fun. I always recommend uh, Defunct Land, but more of the YouTube series. If you like theme parks or just want to hear about old abandoned rides, that's what I always love to like watch and just have in the background. That's cool. Do you ever do any YouTubing? No, I don't really do any YouTubing. That's the one thing that I don't do because I just don't have time to sit down and do both video and audio. Yeah, I understand. So I got to dive into the theme parks a little bit. Okay. So you mentioned old rides and abandoned rides. Yes. Have you ever been on any of these? Are they are they totally gone? Well, it depends on your definition of totally gone. Like, at Disney World, I don't know this for certain, but mostly, yes, I, I'm just like, I'm shaking my head right now, yes. A lot of the rides that are considered abandoned, they just walled up. Like, you can still get into the buildings and stuff that I don't recommend it because if they find you, they will kick you out for life. 
Though, if I had a chance to pick one, which unfortunately is kind of there, but not really anymore, is uh, Discovery Island at the Magic Kingdom, which was a water park that they closed down uh, due to uh, I, the the big rumor, even though it's eh, not really true, is uh, parasites were in the water, so like brain parasites. Oh. Though... It, the parasite is in like most fresh water in Florida, so it's it's not a real big health hazard, but it, it can be. But uh, there's other reasons for why it was closed. Uh, other ones that I would love to have visited is Body Wars, which they literally uh, sealed it up like Cask of Amontillado style of just like brick by brick. Uh, for me, when it comes to abandoned rides, as well as some rides that I really wish I could be on. Uh, is at Disneyland they used to have like a chairlift system, the Skyline, and I would have loved to have gone on that. I've actually gotten able to uh, sit in one of the the buckets they have because they had an exhibit that was in Glendale for a while, and those things are tiny, and there is a specific reason why they got rid of those because you could easily just jump out of those things. Oh, jeez. <laughs> when did Body Wars close? Uh, Body Wars closed... Like 2010, 2012, it was just wasn't doing well. Really? Uh, because I they had Star that, Tours. Right. Was that uh, Epcot? Yes, that was Epcot. I remember it. Why did they close it? Oh, because no one was going on the ride. Like, there's actually a funny video where like this guy gets onto the ride, and he's just the only one there. Like, literally the only one on the ride, and he's just like, "Where is everyone?" They're all the cast members. Like, oh, they're all at Star Tours. Oh, damn. That's crazy. Yeah, I remember Body Wars. That was a good ride. Oh, it was fun. That was the one that was directed by Leonard Nimoy. How did you learn so much and get into these theme parks? For me, a lot of it had to do with just reading and learning a lot. And also because for me, I live in pretty much one of the theme park capitals, even though Orlando's like the Holy Grail, Disneyland, Knott's, Magic Mountain, SeaWorld, Legoland, like all these places, like... Most of the creators, even though, you know, they're really old, are still still kicking. A lot of them, and a lot of them have written books. A lot of them do a lot of panels. Like, for me, when I use YouTube, I look at interviews. I look at anything I can get my hands on because when I was working at Disneyland, I wanted to learn the history a lot because that is what I love. And one of the things I studied in high school up into college was history and historiography and just examining things from different points of views in more of a neutral sense and for me uh, when it came to like learning about theme parks it is really interesting because all it is is just interactive entertainment but also uh, the great thing about Disneyland that people don't know is that a lot of the people that built Disneyland weren't they didn't weren't in the theme park industry because the theme park industry wasn't really a thing at the time a lot of them came from making movies so all their ideas came from movies so they built the park with you know movies in mind that makes a lot of sense can you see yourself doing sound effects or something like that for a ride or a theme park? Oh, I'd love to do that. That's something that like maybe it might be in the chalkboard one day. I'd love to do that. I uh they have uh, things all the time like what I would really love to do actually is do foley work. That's just producing sound effects all day and every day. Oh. Do you have special equipment to make the sounds? Yeah, it's just a microphone. That's all you really need. Uh-oh. Like you can buy a microphone anywhere. Like and for me, I just you, t- yeah. And then you just kind of make sounds, and do you like mix it or something? Yes, you can mix it. Just the idea is to get the cleanest audio possible. Like uh, an example is I remember 
uh, like Thunder and Lightning back in the old days was just taking like a piece of sheet metal and just like warping it. So it goes, or you have like a rain machine, which is uh, like a gigantic cylinder you filled with beads that you just turned and it would make like rain sound effects, like stuff like that. Like you just go out and you make stuff like my favorite is uh, the sound what they use for the uh, lasers in Star Wars, not the lightsabers, but like the pew pew. Is actually, yeah. uh, they went out in the desert and they found this high tension wire to like a radio dish, and they just like hit it with like a pole. It goes doosh, doo, doo. No doo. way, that's yeah, incredible. That's, that's all it is. It's just high tension wire hit with like a baseball bat. <laughs> Same that's... as with uh, Godzilla, like Godzilla's iconic roar, which I'm, I can't do it at all. Like I'll kill everyone's ears. Uh, is all it is is just a leather glove on a stringed instrument. Wow, I never knew that. That's crazy. I always just pictured somebody at a computer, like, doing some magic. Yes, normally, I mean, tech necromancy is a thing, but, like, for me, just being out there, and it's better to make it in, like, reality rather than making it a computer, because people, people will always notice. You can tell the sound if it's made by a computer versus if it's a real sound. Well, you need to get an original file of something, like an original thing. That's why like, I don't really watch shows with like laugh tracks because they all sound the same. And then when you think about like half those people are either dead or like, depressed right now, you're just like, maybe maybe I don't want to watch a, a show with a laugh track. <laughs> That's interesting. I w- like, do you think you, f- you have that kind of train of thought because you're in the audio field? No, I'm just a weird cynical person. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't mean the depressed part. I mean no, the, no, uh... no, no, no. <laughs> no, but it's like uh, when you like look at audio all day and stuff, you kind of pick up on these things. But also it's just sometimes, you know, my mind just wanders to weird random things. How do you feel about Disney movies? I love them. Take them, leave them. It depends. Depends on the era. Depends on the mood you're in. For me, I like Disney movies a lot, but... It comes to a point where it's just like if I watch only Disney, you go a little crazy. I like to have like a smorgasbord of movie choices. Though a lot of subsidiaries of Disney own some of my favorite movies. Like Disney owns Clerks. They do? Yep. That's a Disney movie. That is movie. weird. Con Air as well. Huh. I have no idea. You got a lot of knowledge that you're dropping on me today. I like it. Oh yeah, that's that. That is my mind. Uh, people have described me as I talk like how Ernest Klein writes. <laughs> I like that. Do you have a favorite Disney animated movie? Oh yeah, uh, the Disney animated movie that's my favorite is Atlantis: The Lost Empire. Oh no way! I haven't even seen that one. I saw it on Netflix the other day, and I was talking to my wife, and I was like. We need to watch this. This is like the only Disney movie I haven't seen. And she was just like, not interested. Oh my God. It is one of the most, like the best way to put it is it is the most BA and most hardcore of the Disney movies. Cause they wanted to get away from more like musicals. Cause they did like the Hunchback of Notre Dame, Lion King, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast. This was like, we're going to, we're going to change things up. We're going to have some experimental things. This is going to be our big first one other than the Emperor's New Groove, which was supposed to be a musical. Uh, but uh, Atlantis is very, like, steampunk, diesel punk. Uh, the best way to put it is just watch it because it's not like your average Disney movie. You just or made me so Disney happy movie. by saying that. 
Oh yeah, no, like there's like parts where like people get blown up, electrocuted. Like there there is no like subtle way to put like people getting decapitated. Oh my god, it is for when I saw it in the theaters, I was just like, Oh my god. <laughs> Sounds great. I can't wait to go watch it now. Oh, it's perfect. It's one of those Disney movies, that and Treasure Planet are like two of my favorites. And they're considered the the two worst Disney movies, though. Eh, time when they're released. I've never even heard of Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet's the sci-fi version of Treasure Island, except Long John Silver's an effing cyborg with a no. machine gun. Yes! That's So that's called Treasure Planet? Yes, it's Treasure Planet. All it right. is so good. <laughs> I, oh, gotta, I gotta write that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they came out about the same time. Uh, Treasure Planet was like 2003, 2004, and it's so good. Oh my god. All right, Atlantis and Treasure Planet, they're on the list. That's great. I'm a big fan of Legos, always have been. Never been to Legoland. Is it worth the trip? Well, yes, but for me, I haven't gone in so many years. If I was to go again, I'd have to... It's like one of those It's those hard things because I love Legos, but then again, it's like you sit there and you just like look at Legos for a little bit, and then you go on some kid rides, and then you just leave. Okay. Mm. So it's not as big of a draw as you want it to be. Well, for me, like, my entertainment comes from, like, looking at Legos. Like, if they have, like, a Lego movie display, heck yeah, I'll go again. Uh, But for me, when it came to, like, just Legoland, it has been years. And it's one of those things where I've heard it's good. Sometimes I heard it's bad. But if I had to prefer, because for me, Legos are cool, but I love Harry Potter. So going to the Wizarding World at Universal Studios is where it's at. Yep. So they have that over in uh, California as well? Yes. We only have uh, Hogsmeade, and that's fine because we have Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey. I can get my butterbeer and then spend like $300 on like a robe and a wand. And Oh, man. Maybe I you're should all just set. Go. Yeah, we're all set to go. <laughs> what are you doing tomorrow? Uh well, I don't get paid to say I'm going to Disneyland. I might get paid to say I'm going to Universal Studios to the Wizarding World. <laughs> Universal, where's my check? <laughs> free advertisement. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. The amount of free advertisement I've given them. Uh, I'm just waiting for the day I get a check. <laughs> <laughs> How good is that butterbeer, though? Oh, it is beyond good. Though, don't get cold butterbeer. Wait till the Christmas time. They got warm butterbeer. No, they don't. Yes, they do. It is just is it... like liquid diabetes. Oh, it sounds like heaven. Just imagine like you're drinking caramel, and that's about it. <laughs> it's got to be delicious. Oh, it's delicious. Oh, my God. All right, butterbeer. <laughs> so what's, what's your favorite park, theme park that you've been to? Oh, it's Disneyland. Disneyland's my favorite. Easy, not even, you didn't even have to think about it. No, because Disneyland is my home and will always be my home, almost, because I work there, I've gone there since I was little, and also, for me, all my friends go to Disneyland, as well as, for me, the magic's really in Disneyland just because of the history and just, like, the idea of one man's triumph over being in debt for most of his life and then deciding, I'm going to do all these things and prove everyone wrong, and he made something that was super magical. Do you have a recommendation for a movie or book about Walt? So if I was to recommend like a Disney book, I'd recommend uh, Walt Disney 
The Triumph of an American Imagination by, uh, what's his name? Neil Gabler. I'm so sorry if I get your name wrong. Gaber. <laughs> uh, but it's pretty much all about Walt Disney. I also recommend a bunch of other books. Uh, another one I would recommend is One Little Spark. Got it. And that's kind of gives you a history of uh, Walt during his life. Yes, um, mostly when it came to like Walt's life, it's a very fascinating man. There's different, there's much different points in his life. I like the Disneyland aspect as well as uh, from Snow White and onwards because he's just an interesting man. Like most people would, you would believe that Walt Disney is the richest man in the world, right? Makes sense. No, entire life he was in debt until the moment, pretty much until the very end. Like he was like the poorest man you could possibly imagine. Crazy. Like, he, he pretty much worked for his money. Like, the idea of opening up Disneyland was like, I, I need to make more money and having a constant flow of money instead of pretty much, like, gambling on a per movie is one of the most genius things you could possibly do. Even though he did it out of love, it's still out of money. And I love him for it. Do you think, <laughs> do you think money was his real drive or do you think it was actually, like, giving the people... No, I think his real driver is just creating things. And unfortunately, to create things, you kind of need that cheddar. No pun intended. Yep. <laughs> Little mouse joke for you. <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's nothing wrong with that. But the idea of, you know, a man, you know, no matter, like people said his stuff was stupid. And no matter what, even if it was just money, he'd figure that out later. He just wanted to just create things his entire life. Like imagine him seeing what it is today. Like he built that. That's incredible. Well, my favorite thing is people, it's like, it's not what Walt wanted. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure Walt Disney has never seen $4 billion before. I mean, I stand corrected, but I'm sure someone would not be like, wait, um, I can't take this. It's $4 billion. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Wrap it up. No more Star Wars. Sorry, guys. Wrap yeah, it up. It's kind of a silly <laughs> argument, right? Yeah. But... It's not like to say that he wouldn't say no, but it's like one of those things. It's like, no, he wouldn't say no. It's hard to say no to that much. No, but he's just a man that like he would use that money for good rather than just pumping out Star Wars movies every day. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Did I, this mic on? So do you think Walt's like the uh, greatest theme park creator of all time? I would. To call him the greatest theme park inventor of all time was almost like an understatement because it wasn't just him. Like he had the ideas, but it took the Imagineers uh, to really make it happen. As yeah. well as there's without the perseverance of other theme park people, like I can't not give credit to you know people such as like Walter Knott who made Knott's Berry Farm and all these places where you you wouldn't think, but the idea of you know again it's it's not just one person; it's about a team. It's a team effort. Without a bunch of people, like, uh, one of my favorite stories is uh, when they were doing the Rivers of America, they filled it up, uh, they came back the next day, and take a guess what happened. Empty. Yeah, the whole water's empty, because uh, no one thought, oh, you know, if we put water in the ground, it's not going to just seep into the ground. Yikes. So, you know, they had to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? They ended up contacting a guy uh, named Fowler. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll explain to you guys what to do. You have to, like, lay clay down. And you're going to make a dry dock because it's going to save you a lot of money. And, you know, without that, like, you you would think like, the simple things. It's like, oh, yeah, when you put water in the ground, you need something to keep it there. Right. Takes an army. Yeah. Literally, it, it took a Navy engineer. <laughs> 
Amazing. It's it's so true though. You I mean you try and do things on your own and you think you can take on the world, right? But it's hard. You need people in your corner helping you out the whole way. Yes, and you also need someone to say no to you sometimes. I mean, look at George Lucas and the Star Wars prequels. When you say you have someone that doesn't say no, you get that movie. And <laughs> yeah, it's like he was just like yes on everything and had a bunch of yes men. I love you, George Lucas, but it's like one of those things where it's like if you say yes to everything, eventually you're probably going to have a bad idea that might get through. And How does he feel about those movies today? Um, not much. He got paid and made a lot of money. He hasn't, like, come out and said, like, I'm so sorry. No, he's probably happy because he was, Disney's like, we want to buy all your movies and all your rights. Thank you. Do you have How to do deal you... with the fans now? <laughs> How do you feel about the new ones? They're okay. Except for Solo. They're okay. Oh, I haven't seen Solo yet. Solo's I like the a... other ones. Solo was a train wreck, but it was a train wreck since day one. But uh, that's that's a completely different discussion. <laughs> I like the one with that was like off the main story. I forget what it was called. Oh, Rogue One. Rogue One, yeah. I didn't like that one all that much, except for the ending when people were just dying horrible, horrible deaths, and I was laughing. Yeah, that was great. It was like, hey, the main characters don't have to survive. Yes, that that's the one good thing. But I didn't. For me, when it came to those movies, I didn't. I didn't really care for all the characters, so it was like for me, it was just like, oh, they're they're dying. I don't have an emotional stake to them. They're not all, they're, they're, they're just, eh. Yeah, no attachment. No attachment. Like I would be more sad. Like I've never seen one of my best friends cry until Han Solo died in The Force Awakens, and I saw that man, that man, cry. That hey, that was a sad part. Oh yeah, his own son. I know it was. And me and my friend. And my other friend waited 12 hours in line to watch that movie. Was it worth it? At the time, yes. All right, good. I like that. Now I can walk into a Star Wars movie and not have to worry about a line. So, we talked about a lot of different things. Very yes. interesting stuff. A lot of books. Um, one thing I always like to ask is, if you had all the money in the world... What would you do tomorrow? What I, So what I would do tomorrow is I would put most of it in a bank account. And a lot of the, what I would use it for is either to help people out with their small projects, such as for me, I believe in the betterment of the world a little bit through either donating it to libraries or donating it to people that want to produce art, such as podcasting. And if I can just have like a, a million, two million, actually, let's take it back. I'll, maybe 10 million. I'm, I'm a little greedy now. If I could just have 10 million and then I could just give the rest away, like for me, I could live very modestly, though I can, you know, make the world a much better place by giving people the tools to achieve the same amount of wealth that I just got. That's awesome. What would you do with your time? Well, I feel like this would be embarrassing, but uh, I would sit down. Two million, four to ten, whatever the the amount. That's a lot, and I would just end up watching The Office again. Like, oh, that, that's good. <laughs> I don't have to worry about bills for a week. <laughs> just watch The Office. Well, heck yeah! What else would I do in my life? Uh, no, after after a while, you know, I let, I'm a worker. For me, I like to work. So being able to do something either creatively or just being able to like, just get out 
and like go traveling. Like I'd love to go to every national park in the entire oh, world. Oh wow, yeah, that's that would be a cool goal. Like that's kind of the, the goals that I want to achieve and everything else. Like after a while, like money's nice. Like I I, I like money. Money money, you know, feeds my belly and uh does all the other things. But after a while, you know, just doing nothing, you kinda you get bored. Exactly, exactly. So that's always the, the crazy question. You don't have to worry about paying the bills anymore. Yeah, and then what I can do, do you, it after. How do you spend your time? Are you making a theme park? Are you making a play? I would probably write a play or I would probably just, for me, I'd just be myself. I would read books. I would do pretty much be doing what I'm doing now minus having to have to worry like each week and month about, you know, paying the electric bill, paying into the amount that I need to keep my podcast afloat, equipment if things need to break, like all those things that I have to budget, I don't have to necessarily worry about. But then like I have the chance of helping people out as well. And I feel like for me, like uh, one of my favorite things to do every year is uh, one of my favorite authors, Patrick Rafas. Uh, he does this charity called World Builders. So, uh, for the last three years, I've like saved every change, like penny, nickel, quarter, and I keep it in a piggy bank. And at the end of the year, when World Builders comes, I go to like a coin star, or sometimes I'll just go to the bank and put all the coins down and get some money, and then I donate to this charity. Which pretty much what they do is they work for this company called Heifer International. Which you know they give a cow to a starving family and teach teach them how to milk it and how to do all these things not not to eat the cow but you know how to farm and cultivate and you know giving that money I feel like um this is this sounds so sappy like it's just nice and warm and feeling that I have like I used all this change that I found on the ground to help help a family out in some some ways I'm making a difference one way shape or form that's awesome yeah and I don't I don't think that's sappy I think that's part of life like helping others is huge i don't know something about it well yes i mean it's not like for me it's like i'm not trying to hawk a charity right now but it's like one of those things it's like being able to like for people that have never donated to a place that's like you know where the money's going to because that's what heifer does is you know exactly where every cent's going to you get like a nice warm fuzzy feeling in your in your belly for a little bit yeah that's a really cool charity i haven't heard of that Oh yes, they they what they do is they teach people how to farm, how to make things, how to sustain like just a quality of life. Because most is that, people, go on. Is that in the U.S. or? So they go all over the world. Like they'll uh, people in villages will contact them, and what ends up happening is you know they they will find a place and they will give them like a flock of chickens, some cows, and show them like how to like you know chickens make eggs. Eggs make more babies. Babies make delicious chicken nuggets. You know the the whole spiel. Yeah, sure. And same as with milk, like you can like yeah. you make so much milk for yourself that you can start selling milk, and then you can afford things like sending your daughter to school or sending your son with school supplies, and they don't have to worry about being hungry, like things like that. Sure, it's kind of like that old uh, saying. What is it? Give a man a fish, teach a man a fish. Oh yeah, if. You, yeah, cause it's like you can teach a man to fish, he will never go hungry. You teach a fish to be a man, he has an existential crisis. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right. Any Anything specific you wanted to talk about today? Nothing in particular. I think we've we've covered a lot. <laughs> we definitely did. A lot of great stuff. Very, you're a very interesting guy. Oh, thank you. I, I like to hear that. I like some ways that all my nerdiness can become interesting. 
Nerdiness definitely isn't a bad thing. No, it's not. Um, okay, so what was your podcast again? So my podcast is Radio Camp Half-Blood, a Percy Jackson Relong podcast. If you just type in Radio Camp Half-Blood, it should pop up. Got it. Um, can we find you on Twitter or any other social yeah. medias? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Suda41. That's S-U-D-A-4-1. Okay. That's pretty much it. <laughs> that's where we're going to send the people. Yes, send the people there or... You know, email my show. If you have any questions about Heifer or any place, you just email me at radiocamphalfblood at gmail.com, and I'd be more than happy to answer any questions or if you guys want to argue me about weird things. I'm always up for arguing. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> once I start reading these books. Oh, actually, I don't even have to read them, right? I can just listen to your podcast. Yes, we do a chapter at a time, so you don't even have to read them. The great thing about my podcast is, is I've read them, my co-host hasn't, and we go from there. So do you read the podcast and then talk about the episode? I mean, read the chapter. No, so, it, so it's a book club. So what we do is we assign the chapter for the week so everyone should read it. And then we talk about it on the on the book. Yes, we, we uh, end up reading passages and stuff, but you can listen to it and it still makes sense. Okay, so I should read the book. You could or you, you don't have to if you don't want to. Okay, I understand. That's cool. Have you done other books? I think you mentioned that you did. Yes, I had a podcast another lifetime ago called Nightmare on Fish Street, an R.L. Stein podcast where me and my friend read Goosebumps books as well as all the books by R.L. Stein. Favorite Goosebump? Uh, favorite Goosebump is The Cuckoo Clock of Doom. Oh, I don't know it. That's the one where this kid, he, uh, his parents buy an ugly cuckoo clock, and he turns the head backwards. Every day he wakes up, and he gets slightly younger. Oh. Interesting. Okay. Goosebumps were great when you were little. Yes. I'm 23, and I still read them, just because he still keeps putting out. I remember that, that show was on when I was like pretty little, and I was like couldn't sleep for a while. Yeah, Goosebumps, and the terrible second movie just came out. first one was amazing. Was it? I, I saw the uh, the commercials, and it looked a little bit questionable. Uh, I laughed at one joke that was such a low blow that it actually made me chuckle. Otherwise, I was just there stone-faced. <laughs> okay. Is it worth checking out? First one, yes. Second one, if you're drunk. Okay. All right. It's, well, it's, we know what we have to do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome, man. It was it was really great talking to you. Thanks for coming on and taking the time. It's my pleasure. Always fun to be on the podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Strangers in a Small World. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and send a review on your favorite podcast listener. If you want to reach out to us, check us out on Twitter at Strangers in a Pod on Instagram at Strangers in a Small World, or go straight to our website and hit us up at www.strangersinasmallworld.com. On the website, you can find information on the show, as well as links to everything we talked about in today's conversation. Thanks again for listening, and remember, although we may be strangers, we all live together in this small world. (music) 